Welcome to a new episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And I am joined by my frequent guest, Justin Russo, fly by night. Justin, how are you holding up right now? I'm holding as well as someone can hold. That's eloquently put, eloquently said. I'm running out uh, of things to watch. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's almost like... For me, there there are so many things I want to watch, but they're all at like a six out of ten. That I just it, it's hard. Like I can be a little indecisive when I have too many options, and it's just kind of like, do I want to start this? Do I want to start that? There's a couple shows I'm already in, but I don't love, so I'm kind of like, do I continue? Do I give up? Um, it, it is. It's it, it's almost you know paralysis by analysis. So I, I got to figure that out. I got to get my life together. Clearly. Do you like documentaries? Uh, I I would say in like yes and no. Like I, I think my for me, I, I have to really like the the subject matter to be into it. I'm not one of those people that will just like a you know. I, I think there are people who clearly just like love documentaries and will almost watch any type of documentary as long as it's like semi interesting. I wouldn't put myself in in that category. I, w- I would say I'm more. You know, if it's the last dance, obviously, but like the, the, all the biggest documentaries over the last like decade or so I've, I've seen. Um, but I, I wouldn't say like I I think it has to be a certain level for me to like have interest in watching it. I would probably say. OK, because I just got done watching a documentary. It's a six part documentary. It's on HBO now and it's on Hulu. Um, okay. It's called McMillions. And Is it's McDonald's. Yes, it is about the scheme uh, to rig the McDonald's monopoly game over like 11 or 12. <laughs> you I'm being honest. That's with you. How, that sounds good. It is. I think it's the greatest documentary I've ever watched. <clears throat> that wasn't sports related. Like it is, it hooks you right off the bat. And for six episodes, it's one of the most enthralling things I've ever seen. I'm going to have to give it a look. And you said, so Hulu and HBO now. Yeah. Okay. I'm, you will not regret it. It is it is wild. Well, this is this podcast is off to a, a wild start. Um, <laughs> we are <laughs> we're already off the rails. It usually takes us like forty five minutes. Um, when when we say we're going to record for forty five minutes and it goes an hour and a half, um, but no, I, I will I will check that out. I actually don't. Wh- one thing that it, that has helped and hurt my consumption is I don't have hbo um i used to have my parents log in but i no longer have that so i have been debating if i want to wade into the hbo waters but i i think because i have netflix i have hulu um i have espn plus those are my and you know three subscription tv services but uh, well I, I have the disney plus bundle but now we're really going off the rails here um so I, I, if you get HBO now, though, I did hear a little rumor that when HBO Max comes out, if you have HBO now as a standstill, you get a free upgrade to HBO Max. Ooh. That's what I heard. I, I don't know how actually true that is, but that was one of the things that I saw the other day that was going around. OK, that, that just sold me on it then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so let's get into the actual content of today, which is. It is uniform blitz week at the athletic. And as 
part of my story for the Uniform Blitz this week. I decided to pour over the past 50 seasons of Clippers basketball and Braves basketball uh, and look at the 451 players that have suited up. You know, they've worn 49 different uniform numbers and suss out who the best player and or most memorable player was for each uniform number. So I think if, you know, almost the way I look at it is if you had, you know, I mean, there's some easy ones, right? Like number three Clippers, you immediately think of Chris Paul. Number 32, you immediately think of Blake Griffin. At this point now, number two, you think of Kawhi Leonard. Um, But even some of these other ones, you know, if, if you just had, a few guys lined up and you flashed a number uh, and you saw the players, I think certain guys would stand out more than other guys. And I think inherently there's going to be some recency bias in this exercise because I was born in 1992. Uh, My Clippers history extends into the seventies and eighties, but I would say I have a stronger command into like the early nineties. So with some of the seventies and eighties stuff, it was going through basketball reference. It was, you know, Google searching guys, reading articles, uh, reading other stories that people have done, um, uh, you know, ranking Clippers or just ranking guys all time and, and stuff like that. So I, I did put a lot of time into uh, this exercise. Uh, there was one number that w- we'll get to that I think in retrospect, I clearly botched. And um, I'm going to ask for a mea culpa on that. But uh, let's let's get into it. Uh, you know, double zero. <laughs> yeah. Uh well, the, the international man of mystery Benoit Benjamin. Um <laughs> uh you know, I so so and, and one one quick thing quickly. For me a, a big thing was playoff appearances. So there's a few players that I was in between and, and put to a, a Twitter poll and, and there's clearly some recency bias in, in that, but if for me, if it came down, you know, if it was really close between two guys, I tended to default to who played, you know, in, in the playoffs, who was a contributor in the playoffs. Um, I also looked at advanced metrics, so I know there's there's one that you had mentioned bef- before the show that, um, you know, if, if on paper it looks like one guy is better than the other, but when you really dig into the advanced metrics and the playoff resume, it does favor the guy who has the the you know, the, the worst basically counting stats. Um, so we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but let's get back to Benoit Benjamin. Um, reading some of the stuff about him was, was as entertaining as any player on this list. Uh, <laughs> I think he's the perfect guy to start with. And, um, you know, I, I think if you ask any Clippers fan from the eighties about him, you're going to elicit a good and or bad reaction. Like it, it's just, he was a very polarizing guy. It's kind of funny because, looking back, he was taking two picks after Patrick Ewing. (laughs) Like he was the third overall pick in the 85 draft. Like obviously everyone remembers like the whole, Oh, did the NBA rig it to get Patrick Ewing in New York thing? Well, the, one of the alternatives was Patrick Ewing with the Clippers. It said it's Benjamin and you know, he, he was decent. It wasn't like he was bad and he was obviously better than Kevin Duckworth, which is his competition for double zero. For me, it was it was mainly reading about just some of his practice habits. You know, his, his work ethic was constantly called into question. Uh, he averaged more turnovers than assists. 
and it wasn't even close. It was like over 1.0 more turnovers than assists per game as a Clipper. So like he, you know, he definitely was one of those guys where like, yeah, you look at, you know, 13, nine and, and almost three blocks. Like that, that's pretty, that's pretty good on paper. Um, but you know, I, I think that the, the turnovers, the work ethic stuff also made him kind of this confounding figure um, and going two picks after Patrick Ewing, even if you don't have those expectations of being a number one pick, you know, still being a top three pick, you are at that point really supposed to be probably an all-star if you're going to be a top three pick. Like that's kind of typically the expectation. Um, so, you know, he, he never quite lived up to that, but he was, you know, uh, he was a good shot blocker. You know, three blocks over. per game with the Clippers. I mean, that's that's really good. Uh, the, I mean, nine rebounds a game is, is nothing to scoff at. Um, so I, I just think it, it really depends how – and there's – that was kind of a trend in, in Clippers history here is like the amount of guys that pass through at basically <laughs> the wrong time in their career. Um, which we will get and, into. It, which we'll get into. But like I don't even know if Benjamin's the, the best example of this, but there's so many guys that were there too early, too late, um, you know, or, or were there and had an injury or, you know, the Clippers gambled on a trade for a guy and then he was only there temporarily. And like, it's just, it's, it, it was fascinating to me to see how many hall of famers passed through the Clippers, but did not have hall of fame careers, you know, during their port, you know, portion of time with the Clippers. So Benjamin gets traded for old and Paul and nice. uh, oh, I'm I, glad I you brought we, that up. Yeah, go ahead. I want to, I want to talk about this. Have you looked at the list of players Benoit Benjamin was traded for? I did not. So he gets traded for Olden Polonese, who we'll get into next. After that, he gets traded for Sam Perkins. After that, he gets traded for Sam Bowie. <laughs> like, that's an incredible run of people to get traded for. Uh... Every Like, think about it. Sam Perkins was a top flight draft pick. Sam, Bo- Sam Bowie, as we all know, got picked right ahead of Michael Jordan. Like he, like basically he was traded for guys that were like top five picks. It it's just incredible. speaks to, it, it's a weird like track. Cause an old Polonese was traded for Scottie Pippen. It's like a weird. Yeah. Like six degrees of separation you can do with some of these people. Yeah. No, it's. Um, so th- th- this was the one to me that th- this was one of the, the, not the hardest ones. Cause the, there was a couple that were harder to write, but Baron Davis, uh, I mean, Baron Davis might be the most, uh, he's not the most, but I, I, in doing, at least doing this exercise where, where, you know, most of these guys, there's, there's, okay, there's two guys who literally had zero competition. Um, and, and you know, there's two numbers that had only been worn once. So they automatically won, but like most of these guys for the most part, at least contributed something positive and a lot of Clipper fans have positive memories with, but in terms of like polarizing figures, Baron Davis is up there somewhere in the top five, top three, like, you know, you, you interview 10 different Clipper fans about Baron Davis. You're going to probably get 10 different answers and it really comes down to your perspective on him. Um, So obviously, you know, his tenure did not go as planned, uh, he's coming off the Golden State Warriors run where they have that 2007 We Believe team. And, he, you know, he's playing arguably the best basketball of his career, you know, kind of all-star level. Um, as a little bit of a – I think had a little bit of a down season in 07-08. Um, 
compared to that 07 season. But, you know, the initial vision was him coming to the Clippers in the summer of 2008, teaming up with Elton Brand to form an elite one-two punch. Both guys were past their prime at that point slightly, but still, you know, good, you know, close to all-star level. And it was at least going to give the Clippers kind of an extension of that 06 run. Um, You know, Corey McGetty was still there, but he was going to end up leaving. And, um, you know, I, that was kind of the Clippers' attempt to keep that thing going because, you know, 06, 07, and 07, 08 were, were disappointing seasons following that 2006 um, playoff run. So instead, as most people listening to this podcast know, Elton Brand kind of, I don't know what word you want to use, I mean, backstabs the Clippers, tricks the Clippers, whatever, into going to the Sixers and leaving Baron Davis with this kind of weird <laughs> – Weird is like an understatement, but this just just super weird roster uh, that's kind of like on paper, you could look at it and like talk yourself into them potentially being the eight seed if everything breaks right. I mean, they had Baron Davis. They had a, a rookie, Eric Gordon. They had a rookie, DeAndre Jordan. They also Chris had Zach Rand- uh, Chris Kamen, Marcus Camby, Zach Randolph. Um, so on paper, like you can maybe talk yourself into this team like fighting for the eight seed. But you can also talk yourself into them being terrible, which they were. Uh, so it, it just this weird, ill-fitting roster. Um, a, a lot of bigs, a lot of bigs who couldn't shoot. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there, there's the Baron Davis side of it, which was statistically he probably played. I mean, aside from his last couple of years where he was pretty much washed up and, and barely hanging on to you know being in the league, he played the least efficient and least inspired basketball of his career as a Clipper, and you know, still put up. Uh, 14 and a half and seven and a half, but a 48.4 true shooting percentage is just abysmal. Was pretty much under 40% shooting, uh, you know, all, all three years as a Clipper. And his most notable moment, uh, in, in a oh, positive geez. sense, because in a negative sense, you could say he cost them Kyrie Irving, uh, by being traded to Cleveland and, you know, with that pick. But in a positive sense, his most, you know, positive moment as a Clipper is probably his pass to, Blake Griffin, you know, his alley oop to Blake Griffin out of the sunroof of, of the Kia during the 2011 dunk contest. But Baron Davis is it just a loaded topic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was having a discussion with him uh, the other day with someone, and I think it could be argued he's probably one of the five worst free agent sign ins of all time. And not from like a like production standpoint. Because of like the ramifications, like they didn't keep Elton Brand, which in a way was a blessing for the Clippers because he wasn't good with the Sixers. But they were, like you said, they were supposed to have like this dynamic duo and like they were supposed to be good. And Elton Brand leaves in free agency while Baron Davis signs. And, you know, Baron's not good with the Clippers. And, you know, they're paying him this money. Donald Sterling's berating him courtside. Um, and then they have to ship him off. And like you said, they give up a first round unprotected draft pick and it turns out to be Kyrie Irving. And it's like, it's just a disastrous deal. Like those two and a half, three years were just, they were painful because you knew what it could be. And it never had the chance. It was just killed right off the bat. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, his own owner heckling him. At home games, um, that was, that sums it up. I mean, to be yeah. honest, like, and when we get down to the number, the number one, like, it should go to Baron Davis because 
even on the downswing, he was probably the best player to ever wear it for the team. The interesting discussion is Chauncey Billups alongside. Because yeah. while he did tear his Achilles, he was he was massively important to winning basketball. Yeah, no, I I I I, I wish we had seen I don't like I don't think that 2011 12 team was ready. Uh, you know, you, you didn't, even though DJ didn't really take that next step until Doc came, he still, I think, took a step between that season and, and the 12 13 season. So I, I just think with, with DJ, uh, not really where he was eventually going to be or, or even close to that, um, you know, Blake and Chris still kind of figuring it out together, which Frank, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but like, <laughs> you know, if they ever figured it out together, but, um, I just think that team, you know, that, that was the first year together. They, you know, they got swept by the Spurs, should have won at least one of those games. But um, I, I think the next season was where Chauncey really could have helped. And, and to have him get injured again, it was just kind of like, you know, because th- that year is the year they should have beat Memphis in the first round. Yep. Uh, I forgot off the top of my head who they would have played in the second. Would it have been the Spurs again? Or. I- I don't I'm trying to remember, honestly, because um, they go up two zero in that Memphis series, right? Yeah, and then uh, Oklahoma City. Yeah, it would have been OKC. Okay, so they could have played OKC in back to back playoffs. Um, and, and then that's the series where Blake, if I'm not mistaken, gets injured between game, game four five. and five. Yeah, he yeah, rolls he, his he ankle. Lamar yep. Odom. Yep, in practice, and then maybe, he misses game five. Maybe Allen Iverson was right. Why? Why <laughs> practice? Uh, Doc saw that and was like, I'm never, even though he was already doing it in Boston. Um, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't even, well, Chauncey. Yeah. I mean, Cha- Chauncey's, I think is a, what if, um, do you, Ke- Keon, I just included cause I, I like Keon dueling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do you want so, to, some of this is like some of the honorable mentions I just threw on. Cause I was like, I like this player. So I'm going to give him some, some credit. All right. So if you had to guess without looking it up, what do you think Willie Green shot from three in the 2012-13 season since we're talking about that season? Now, I mind actually, you, he started 60 games at shooting guard because of Chauncey's injuries. So w- Willie Green was my, this is a whole other, you know, we, we could have like 15 side podcasts off of this podcast. Was he because, your love affair? No, no. Oh. I did not like Willie Green. Really? Uh, Willie Green was my original Avery Bradley. Um, Ooh, I like like obviously he was better than Avery Bradley, but I just remember um, I didn't like that he played. Like I was a huge Bledsoe guy, okay. and I, you know, and, and then immediately he goes to Phoenix and is basically a borderline all star, or at least like you could talk yourself. I mean, it probably took him a couple years to really become a borderline all star, but like you could at least talk yourself into like you know he's putting up like eighteen and six or whatever he. he did his first season. Uh, but I, I just always thought Bledsoe should be playing more. Um, and, and Will, you know, Willie was just one of those guys for me that I was like, I, I, I'm personally not a huge fan of the placeholder starter. Uh, I and, and I think that's where just like, I have a difference in philosophy and like, I, I just you're, like, and, unless you are a offense only guy, like I think if you're an offense only guy, like a Lou, uh, like a Jamal, um, you know, you, you could go on, and on for different guys like sure I, I think the offense only guys probably should be the six men should lead the second unit should come off the bench 
uh, if they you know have some defensive deficiencies. But if your strength is defense and offensively you're you're not like a I didn't, you know, Bledsoe couldn't really shoot and, you know, he still isn't a great shooter, but I I just felt like he, he still made things happen offensively. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into him in a, in a little bit, but I, I just felt he should have been playing more. And I felt he was just straight up better than, than Willie Green. And I remember this possession in my, or I don't know if I've ever told you this, but there was a... And I actually forgot because because Willie played did Willie, Willie played for Doc too right he, yes. he played one year so I, I think it was actually Doc's first year that they were playing Miami in Miami and it was actually I think we did talk about this because Matt Barnes was out and they were going small I think they went Willie and JJ and Willie was basically the small forward and the Heat ran three straight possessions for LeBron on the left block. And in all three possessions, two of them he scored and two of them he got fouled, including an and one. And I was just, and then Doc immediately yanked Willie out. And I was just like, this is the thing. Like, like to, I guess he, he was Avery for me in that like, I felt he was a little over, not even a little, like decently overrated defensively. Like, yes, he could shoot and, and that was a plus, but like, I felt like he was almost kind of dubbed as like he, not he's our perimeter stopper, but like he's a competent plus defender, and I just didn't really see that. And I was like, sure, the guy can make open threes, but like, and, and you know, he's a good locker room guy, and, and he's a pros pro and all that stuff. But like, I just felt he was to me like a ten to twelve minute a night like ninth man, and he was starting playing, you know, fifteen to twenty five minutes depending on the night, and, and I just thought that was too much. Did you ever think you'd be talking about Willie Green today? No, I didn't. Uh, and I just went on a two minute tangent on, on him. So, <laughs> hey, he shot 43% from three that year. I was so going to, I was going to, I was, I was, I think I had mixed him up with Randy Foy. So I was going to say 39, but yeah, 43 is, I mean, it's good. I, I yeah, can't he, he had a really nice up. jumper. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like that. So, you know, I mean, like, but, but going back to Chauncey, like his, production into winning basketball when he did play. And the crazy part is Chauncey was there for two years and he only played like 40 games. Yeah. Like I still remember him tearing his Achilles in Orlando. I remember watching live and being mortified because I knew that was like a major, a major blow because he was really good that first year for the Clippers. Like, and that, that it's kind of, it's unfortunate how, you know, there's so many what ifs with the Lob City team, right? Like, like the actual results of stuff, like, you know, 2015 and, and on and on. But I think those first two teams had elements that the, you know, the next four teams never had, which was for as I thought Karan Butler was a very frustrating player at times um, and, and, you know, kind of had some of that. Marcus Morris, like, what are you doing with your shot selection? Are you but talking he, about him passing up open threes and dribbling into mid-range pull-ups that were contested? That is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm um, glad we have the same memory. But for all that, you know, he did have the ability to pump fake and drive. He did have the ability to post up a little bit or, or hit those pull-up jumpers. He did, you know, shoot the ball decently well on threes. So, you know, if if we're ranking 
offensive small forwards in the Lob City era, like Karan Butler wins that in a landslide. Um, I mean, compared to like Matt Barnes or Jared Dudley or Luke Mabamute, like, you know, he he easily wins that. Uh, and then even Chauncey for like this, I mean, JJ versus Chauncey, it's a, it's a weird, like, you know, JJ definitely it was the better player and was the better shooter and brought a different wrinkle offensively. But, you know, Chauncey's ability to basically, you know, it was basically a two point guard scheme, a, a two ball handler scheme that kind of provided a different look and, and took even more pressure off of Chris. And at that point, Chauncey was, you know, close to done. He had transitioned more to a two. He didn't have the same quickness. Um, he, he didn't have the same ability to break guys off the dribble, but he was still a really good shooter. He could still handle the ball at worst as like a secondary playmaker. And I just felt, you know, like offensively, even though those teams weren't as good as the best versions uh, of Lob City, which we'd see in a couple years later, um, I felt they at least had a couple extra guys who could get you 15 on a night if you really needed it. And just kind of because because even like, you know, they had Mo that first year and then they got Jamal. So, you know, Jamal was kind of in that role the rest of the way. But I just felt that those first couple of years, they had a little bit more offensive oomph and just kind of, you know, talent overall um, that, that they never really had uh, again. And it really, you know, those last two, three years of Lob City, it was like they had like four plus offensive players and everyone else was like neutral or minus. And I just think, you know, they still cobbled together league best offenses and, and top three offenses because of how great Chris and Blake were uh, and, and JJ's movement and stuff. But I just think it, it's one of those things where like, had you given them Karan Butler later in the run or, or had you given them what Chauncey could have been later in the run? Like, I, I think that team is at a different level. The, the game that Chauncey tore his Achilles in at Orlando, um, I don't remember. I don't know how much of that you remember, but here's an interesting fact. He played exactly basically half of the fourth quarter. He takes, he takes a three with pretty much exactly six minutes on the shot clock, or I'm sorry, six minutes on the game clock in the fourth. And he pump fakes. Jameer Nelson flies by, he takes a double clutch three rebound comes off. He plants to go after it tears the Achilles comes off the floor. Do you know he was still the leading scorer in that game in the fourth quarter? He scored 11 points. I did not know that. And like he hit like three threes, I believe, in the fourth quarter. Like there was just a sense of reliability with Chauncey on the floor, especially obviously during like close game situations. And the fact that like you look back at his numbers with the Clippers, just look at the first year. Yeah, he shot 36% from the field. Not great. But he shot 38% from three and he took just over six a game. He was reliable from the line, a reliable passer who didn't make many mistakes, solid, still defender, even at 35 years old. And you mentioned it. The what if nature of Lob City is always going to be a thing. And some of it is injuries. Like, I don't know what the Clippers do with Chauncey that that year, but they were a super deep team. And if Chauncey's healthy, maybe they win. I mean, I'm not saying a title, but like, you know, they go probably further. They might even make the Western Conference Finals at that point. Like, who knows? It was so still so early in the season, you never know. But, I mean, I guess, like, for a lot of the guys on this uh, jersey list, it's just going to be an entire what-if section. Like, what if they stayed longer? What if they got here during this time of their career, you know? 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, like I, for I, for instance, Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, the choice as the number for a jersey number two. But if you take him out, who is it? Is it Shea? Is it Darren Collison? Um, uh, is it triple yeah, double sure. Steve Blake? <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, glad you like that joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's Pooh Richardson, Larry Drew. Like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we don't have to have this debate now because I, I don't think there's a clear. Well, maybe you think there's a clear answer. Like, I, I think Chris Paul versus Kawhi Leonard is, is going to be a fascinating debate in like five to ten years of like who was the better overall clipper and, and who's had the better career. Like, I, I mean, I know there, there are some people that would jump on it and say, well, Kawhi's won two titles, two finals MVPs, two defensive player of the years. Um, he should, you know, he's the better player, but I think that's underselling how good Chris Paul was. And to me, Chris Paul is already a top 25, if not top 20 player. And probably the third best point guard of all time behind Magic and Steph. Uh, so if, you know, I, I think that, that's a fascinating debate that it's probably worth its own pod. But like, I, I think that's that's something I'm thinking of off this list of just like who's who's the best player to have worn a Clippers jersey. And and there are other guys that we might get into in, in a little bit, but I, I I mean more so like the best at the time they were wearing the Clippers jersey. Um, obviously, Blake Griffin and, and Bob McAdoo deserve to be in this conversation, but I do think Kawhi and, and CP are probably the two best and, and at a different level. It's hard to disagree. I mean, the one thing I will always look back at Chris Paul's career, there's two things, actually. Number one, I felt comfortable whenever he was on the floor. Like, there's like that calm, you know? Like, everyone, everyone's going to obviously bring up Game 5 in OKC when he just tries to heave the ball 97 feet because he, I swear to God, he was out of bounds when he threw it, um, trying to get fouled. And the second thing is, I always wonder how his career would have been in terms of perception if he was, I don't know, three inches taller. Yeah. You know, that that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, I mean, I I think people he kind of it's weird because he was like one of the league's darlings in New Orleans, where you know he was kind of one of those. I mean, I, I wouldn't put him on like, even though he was as good, if not better than those guys, I would never put like he didn't have like the freakish na- nature of like an Anthony Davis or or Giannis, but. He was kind of in a similar boat where it was like this, um, you know, all NBA first team level player who's just kind of wallowing away on a small market team. And, you know, he he tries to go to the Lakers. That obviously doesn't fall through. Uh, and, and then he ends up on the Clippers. And I think that that definitely elevated his game from a national perspective. And, you know, I, I felt like he was vastly underrated and, and under talked about until he went to the Clippers. And then all of a sudden he's getting these state farm commercials. And, um, you know, I, I think just his profile rose a lot, but at the same time, be, because of, for whatever reason, people turned on Lob City and there's, you know, there's could be multiple reasons for that. 
Um, I, you know, they did whine to the, you know, whatever verb you want to use, whine, complain, um, you know, another word that starts with a B. Uh, <laughs> they did do that to refs a lot. So, like, I get if you're a more neutral fan or a fan of another team, why that would annoy you. You know, they're constantly among the, the league leaders in, in technical fouls. Um, so, so that was kind of a thing. And I think for a while they did kind of almost lean into that too much and just always felt like they're being wronged, which I actually do think there, there were multiple instances in, in key games in the regular season and playoffs in which they were kind of wronged. And it, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Like, you know, how much of that was their reputation and, and how much of it was the perception and all, all that stuff. But um, I, I just think Chris Paul kind of has gotten just not a fair shake publicly. And, and you know, he's, he's far from perfect. Um, he, he is much more in line with that kind of Jordan Kobe competitiveness to the point of like berating teammates and, and, you know, not being the easiest guy to work with. And, and I don't think he necessarily gets the same level of criticism on that front uh, that, that like those two did. Um, like, I, I think he's much more, that than like a, a Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, Steph Curry type leader, which I, th- I think sometimes he kind of gets lumped into that. Um, I think he's much more the fiery competitive, like I'm going to cuss you out type guy. Uh, but statistically, uh, just his, his ability to, uh, again, as we were just talking about the Lob City offenses, like some of those teams, you, you look back at it, like they had seven decent players. Half of them were guys who could barely dribble and it was like they still had a top offense, top three offense. Like you look at the teams now that have, you know, top offenses, top three offenses. It's it's multiple ball handlers, multiple, you know, 20 point scorers, multiple guys who are shooting 38 plus percent from three. Like those Lob City teams did not have that. Mm-hmm. And I think for or you know, the back half ones who were, were better. Um, so I, I think for, for them to have that level of offense, you know, yes, some of it is, is on Blake, some of it's on JJ, some of it's on DeAndre with his screening and rolling. But Chris was the the fulcrum. Chris was the floor general of those offenses. And for them to be as good as they were for as long as they were with the lack of not only talent, but depth, um, I, I think that just speaks to his brilliance. And overall, to me, uh, among the top like 25, 30 guys in NBA history, like he might be the most underrated because I think at his peak, he really was on, you know, basically as good as anybody. Like, I mean, there's a couple guys I'd for sure, you know, LeBron, Jordan, sure. Like I, I, there's a few guys I would take for sure ahead of him, but at his peak, I I think you could put him up there with almost anybody in NBA history and and he's as good or or as productive um, as any of them. I'd agree. Also, you mentioned, you know, Lob City kind of being, their own nemesis in terms of like referees and technical fouls. Do you remember the technical foul that Reggie Evans and Blake Griffin got in game six against Memphis that one year? Yeah. Mark Davis whistled them, whistled Reggie Evans for a technical foul for high-fiving Blake Griffin. (laughs) Like that's literally, that sums up every, like the referees did not like them. And Part of it was their own problem. Part of it was like, like you said, chicken or the egg, you know? And it's funny because Reggie Evans, you listed as the guy that you'd pick for number 30. And it's hard to disagree because he was here for one year, but then you look at the rest of the guys 
who wore number 30, who are you giving it, who are you giving it to? Yeah, no. Um, I, I think Reggie, I mean, and that, that was the thing where like, so he helped should, them win that game one. Yeah. So we, we should, I mean, the thing is that we, we could have such a long, um, do, do you want to talk JJ Ron Harper? Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on that quickly? So I, I, I was in between on that. I, I left it to Twitter. Uh, that, that was one of my three Twitter polls. And with a whopping 72% of the 1,015 votes, JJ Redick won. And one thing I'd kind of forgotten was some of, you know, like Ron Harper, when you think of Ron Harper, you think of really three teams ahead of the Clippers. Um, I mean, if you're a Clippers fan, you might think of him as a Clipper, but like, I think if you're more a, an objective NBA person, you're obviously going to think of the Bulls, which he's in the last dance. You remember um, him with the Lakers. You're going to remember him with the Lakers as, you know, the starting point, uh, starting point guard before Derek Fisher took over. And, you know, it was part of a couple of those teams. And, and then you're might even think of him in Cleveland where, you know, he, he had a, a couple of deep Eastern conference playoff runs um, you know, was going up against Jordan before he joined the Bulls. And that was kind of the prime of his career. You might think of the Clippers and they're probably four. And I don't know if he played for any other teams uh, off the top of my head. Those were the but, but he, you know, he did compare playing to the Clippers uh, as serving jail time. Now, to be fair, Donald Sterling was the owner. So <laughs> like, he's not necessarily wrong. Um I just think like he's never, to my knowledge, really embraced being a Clipper. And I think even if, I mean, of course, anyone who played for Sterling has has the right to have just issue with with the franchise, have issue with Sterling, not necessarily remember their time with with the organization fondly. But there still are plenty of players who have been able to kind of compartmentalize it and put that aside and think about you know, the words Clippers across your chest and think about the fans and think about their teammates and their memories as a Clipper. And I don't feel like Ron Harper has necessarily done that. Now, to be fair, JJ Redick has not necessarily done that either. Um, and, and he's taken some shots at the, at the organization and, and Doc and um, some of the locker room stuff. And like, so JJ hasn't necessarily been a, a model citizen post, you know, L.A., uh, but I don't think he's got, he's never compared it to jail time. He hasn't fully distanced himself from the Clippers. Uh, so I guess from that, like, I think all things being equal, Ron Harper was the better player. You just look at the numbers, like he was better, but JJ played for better teams and he was a very important part. Like you could make the case, you know, he was the third best offensive player, but he might've also been the third most important offensive player, which is a slight distinction there um you know dj was up there for for his screening and rolling but uh i, I just think i don't know it, it was tough I, I thought it really was a coin flip in terms of best and most memorable because i do you know i i personally have an association with ron harper with the clippers so that's where i'm kind of like you know i think if you are um a, a clippers fan or someone who studied the history like you are well aware of ron harper uh but for me, I mean, look, I, I let Twitter decide, and, and Twitter was decidedly in JJ's favor. I think the best way to put it is Ron Harper was the better player during their Clippers tenure, but JJ Redick was the more impactful player. 
Yeah. So I'm totally fine with Reddick over Harper. It's just an interesting discussion of, you know, like you start looking at some of the stuff like Ron Harper, you know, was a 20 point per game guy. You know, JJ wasn't that, but JJ's gravity and stuff opened up a lot of things for everybody else. Like his, his screen handoffs and, you know, just his ability to, to curl off pin downs and then flow right into a, uh, a pick and roll with like DJ leading the dunks was just insane. Like, yeah. like it was just, it was such a staple, you know, and, like go, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and too, I, I thought the part that JJ never got credit for was actually his defense. Yeah, He uh, was fine. Yeah, like he he held he held his own. I thought, yeah, I mean, yes, there, there was times he got exploited, like against Clay. Clay would kind of post him up and and shoot over him from like 16, 18 feet, which actually, at in retrospect, isn't like like you almost would rather have Clay taking those types of shots, even though he could clearly make them and, and just kind of shoot over JJ. Uh, but I, I felt he was always better defensively than he was given credit for, and and you know, yes, he was the worst of the five. Or eh, him and Blake. I mean, Blake got better, but um, he probably was the worst of the five defenders, but I would not put him, you know, he was not a complete liability. He was not Jamal Lou level. Like, and that was sometimes the way I felt like he was treated or talked about. It was like, no, he, you know, he was a good team. He was a good team defender. Yeah. He he always was in the right spots. He he helped. He would take fouls if he needed to take fouls. Like I I felt, and and that's a big one for me. Uh, That's, and, like I think um, one of the things that bothers me with certain guys who aren't good defenders is when they won't, they won't, like it's like all right you're you're already not a good defender you're you're getting beat back door you're giving up offensive rebounds you're getting posted up like fine you have your physical limitations but if the dude's coming down the lane just hammer him like you know set him to the free throw line don't give up a dunk or a layup and there are too many guys um, who who do that and JJ to me was a guy who he would take the foul you know he would draw the contact. Uh, he, you know, he would bump into the guy and that to me is, is something I, I like if you're not like the best defender. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things is like when we get to like the number 10 and Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon's an interesting thing because I think to fans, he represented what could be, and then they dealt him for what is. Yeah. And like you look at him in comparison to Norm Nixon, like obviously most people remember Norm Nixon with the Los Angeles Lakers and rightfully so Um, he won two titles with the Lakers, but they both had similar stints with the Clippers. They each played three years. Norm Nixon was the more high profile guy was actually an all-star with the Clippers his first year. But I do feel like Eric Gordon was probably the better player. Like you look at Eric Gordon's third year, it's one of the most incredible things. And that was the year that we thought, oh my God, this guy's going to take the next step. And then they traded him. And then, you know, his, his career hasn't gone exactly how he hoped it would, but you know, he's carved out a career for himself, but with the Clippers, he represented hope. Like, like remember the hope was Gordon and Griffin and Jordan. And that was going to be the thing. And it looked very promising. And then they did. And then they dealt him. So, well, and, and that's, that's a part of it that so let's just get into Eric Gordon. So quickly, we'll, we'll just, you know, we don't have to get into these because I, I think most of these were, were pretty straightforward, but you got Danny Manning at five, DeAndre Jordan at six, Lamar Odom at seven, Daniil Gallinari at eight. My editors pushed back with, with Marcus Johnson, but 
I think if you look at the advanced numbers, they clearly favor Gallo. Um, Gallo played obviously on um, last season's playoff team and, and was really the go-to. You know, it was kind of him and Lou were the two go-to guys. But I felt Gallo was was just a you know overall better player. Uh, that that's probably arguable. Number nine, Randy Smith, and then now number ten, Eric Gordon. And I think what gets lost in like the Eric Gordon, like he was really the next kind of like kind of young up and coming all-star potential shooting guard. Like you kind of had at that time, Kobe and, and Dwayne Wade and Brandon Roy. And, you know, he was, be, you know, he was drafted a year before James Harden. Uh, so obviously James Harden was the next guy kind of coming up, but he was kind of in that realm and being talked about like that of, you know, can he be the next kind of, because that was a, a weird time for the shooting guard position where it wasn't that deep. Uh, you know, most of uh, the guys around that time, were, it was still a lot of bigs. And and that was kind of the point guard boom where you, you had guys like Westbrook and Rose, um, you, know, you know, coming up and Nash was still going and then Chris Paul and uh, Darren Williams. And so, you know, it felt like, the center position was becoming less important, but shooting guard, there was kind of a dearth of really, really good shooting guards at that time uh, to, to, to my best recollection. And especially younger guys like, you know, 27 and under. Uh, so Eric Gordon was in that class. And really like, if you, if you look at the trade, Eric Gordon is the main thing that the Hornets get in the Chris Paul deal. Like he was mm-hmm. the centerpiece for the Hornets and, you know, similar to like, I mean, they did get a boatload of picks, but like, you know, Shea kind of was the, the centerpiece for the Thunder. And I think you got to give Eric Gordon credit that, you know, he was that good that in retrospect, it wasn't that good of a package uh, for Chris Paul. Uh, but, you know, I think that in the, hindsight, the, it was not good. But at the, the time, yeah, at the time, it was, it was considered was a, like crazy because Chris came and was coming off that, uh, you know, all star season. And or not, not I don't not the year before, but you know he had recently been an All Star, um, or was it the I'm, year before? I'm, I'm blanking. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. It was around that time. It was um, you know, Aminu was just a first round pick, yeah, or a lottery pick even. And, and Aminu had high expectations, like people. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, like it it, it didn't and, pan out, but I think Eric Gordon was clearly like that was the thing, and he was coming off a year where he averaged twenty two and four, and. The list of you know what 23 24 year old guards who average 22 and four like that's an all-star right there and it you know hasn't worked out for him but um i agree with you like i, I think it's probably a toss-up between him and nixon but eric gordon i think has has a special place in clipper fans hearts and did ultimately lead to them getting chris ball so i think that alone might be worth it do you want to rapid fire some of these yeah, yeah, we're uh, in, in in typical fashion. We did three numbers in the first thirty minutes. So yeah, exactly. Let's. So what was that number? That was, that number, was number ten. 10. So so twelve is twelve is blood. So uh, yeah, that's fine. For me, it was it was potential versus practicality. Like Luke Babal Mute probably provided more, but I, think I love blood. So Twitter loved blood. So yeah, um, thirteen Paul George easy, fourteen. Uh, Sean Livingston. Sean, yeah, Sean Livingston. Man, that's a, that's a painful one. All right, we'll come back to fifteen because I want to <clears throat> I want to talk about that for a minute. But sixteen, Wang Zhiji, only guy to wear it. 
Garrett Temple 17. <sighs> that's, I wasn't the only guy to wear it, but like the, the, the other options, I mean, I'll just say Garrett Temple was clearly the best option. And that's all you got to know about who's worn number 17. <laughs> number 18 worse because it might as well have just been one guy to wear it. Yeah. Sa- Sasha Vujicic wore it for 10 minutes. Yeah. That so was Derek Smith. Uh, 19 Sam Cassell, obviously. 20, which we'll come back to, but it's Landry Shamit because 15 and 20 are connected in a, in a random way. Also, major shout out to number 20, Marco Yarich, for helping us get uh, Chris Paul. And also and, uh, Sam Cassell. <laughs> in the conversation for best looking Clipper. And he's a Serbian, yeah, yes. so I got to say that. Number 21 is interesting. Obviously, it's Patrick Beverly. But there's some interesting names on this list. Yes. The 21 Sid- was a very interesting one. Well, you get Sidney Wicks, and you obviously get Darius Miles and Bobby Simmons and even Doug Christie, but you also get post Achilles tear Dominique Williams, uh, Dominique Wilkins, who was actually really good in that year he after was. his Achilles tear. It's insane. Uh, Twenty-two Matt Barnes, which the argument would be Tom Chambers and how good Tom Chambers actually was uh, for the San Diego Clippers, but. Barnes was so impactful with that starting lineup. I can't really go away from him. And, and that's that's the one that I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast where I said, I think on paper, you would take Tom Chambers. Like, I mean, not, not even on paper. Like, Tom Chambers was the better player between the two. But you have Matt's role on those Lob City teams as really being the only wing defender in, in some years. And having to play, you know, in an ideal world, Matt Barnes was a seventh or eighth man and, um, you know, maybe even an eighth man. And for him to be starting at small forward and playing, I mean, you look at some of some of his numbers, like there were series he was playing 35, 36 minutes a night. And it was just, I mean, part of it is, of course, you know, inflated playoff minutes, but Part of it was out of necessity where they just needed a, a wing stopper and Matt Barnes had to play these kind of ridiculous minutes. And at that point, he was already into his early 30s. Like he, he wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like the Clippers necessarily caught him even in his prime. He just kind of had this role with the Clippers that he never had any other time in his career where he was just thrust into the starting lineup, playing a bunch of minutes and was really the only guy uh, on some of those teams that was in between like six six and six eight like you know he kind of was that that lone small forward for, for a couple of years there so um and then for me what kind of sealed it because even that didn't necessarily seal it for me it was just he had cha- like chambers counting stats are good but if you looked at his advanced numbers win shares box plus minus vorp all that stuff it all decidedly favored Barnes. so that for me swung it like I had honestly forgotten Tom Chambers even played for the Clippers until I did this exercise. And, you know, doing that, I I know how good he was, but I just felt Matt Barnes was was the more memorable Clipper. So I want to talk about two numbers really quick. Number 34 and number 35. Number 34, you went with Terry Cummings, which I can't, I find that hard to disagree with. But I do think Tobias Harris has a case. I, I went back and forth on those. Like that, that was almost a Twitter poll. Um, the difference, the for me, it was just. I mean, Cummings was twenty three and ten, and I think Tobias was like eighteen and eighteen and seven, eighteen and seven and a half, and then Terry also played more games. Um, and I think he made. 
Did he make? No, he didn't make the playoffs. Um, but yeah, no, I, I it was tough. I, I will say, I, I almost went to bias, um, and, and maybe that should have been a Twitter poll, though. Based on the other three results, it would have decidedly gone to Tobias. <laughs> do you do you want an interesting Terry Cummings trade rumor that you might not even know? Is this the Michael Jordan one? Yeah, uh, I I read I read it in my research for Terry Cummings. But, okay, so um, I wrote about this in 2015. It was going to be a three team trade prior to the 84 uh, prior to the 84 draft, which was the Jordan draft. Um. The reason the Bulls were interested in Terry Cummings and possibly dealing the number three pick for him is because Terry Cummings was from Chicago. So they would have had a hometown guy. That, that, that's and, always the best way to make personnel decisions. Yes. Um, so it's hard to fall going with Terry Cummings over Tobias. 35 is interesting from only one standpoint. So you pick Louis Vaught, correct? Yeah. I think Cayman has a case, but that's he not does, even. All he does. But that's not what I was going to mention. Interesting factoid between the two guys: Loy Vaught and Chris Cayman went to high school seven miles apart. I did not know that. Yep, it's a random thing, right? Two guys from Michigan went to high school seven miles apart, <laughs> and they're like two inches apart on this article. There, you see, look. You just connect the dots every now and then over good. Um, real quick, though, I want to talk about number 15 and number 20. Because two names who appear, and I'll talk about number 20 first. Moses Malone, if you people can believe this, was a, was a Clipper, or excuse me, a Buffalo Brave, for basically just six minutes in his career. <laughs> and what ended up happening was the Clippers purchased him or drafted him through like the ABA draft when the ABA dissolved into the NBA. They had him for two games, and what ended up transpiring was the new owner of the Buffalo Braves for the 76-77 season, John Y. Brown Jr., who you might better know as the guy who helped build KFC. He wanted to also reduce like salary and player pay and all this stuff, so he trades Moses Malone. They end up trading Moses Malone... Uh, to the Houston Rockets at the time. And basically, obviously Moses Malone goes on to be one of the greatest big men in NBA history. Buffalo Braves had him for six minutes. And if that doesn't sum up the Los Angeles Clippers franchise history, I don't know what does. However, one of the other interesting things is that 76, 77 season also featured Ernie DiGregorio who wore number 15. And if you just look at the 76, 77 roster, Adrian Dantley, who won Rookie of the Year and was traded a year later. Ernie DiGregorio, who won Rookie of the Year and the assist title uh, for the Buffalo Braves and then succumbed to knee issues. Moses Malone traded after six minutes. Bob McAdoo traded in the season in his prime. Randy Smith was in his prime at the time. This is one of the most star-powered NBA teams of all time. And yet they were 30 and 52 because the owner was cutting costs and changing coaches and a couple years later. So Adrian Dantley gets traded for Billy Knight and Billy Knight a year later gets traded to the Boston Celtics in a six player trade with tiny Archibald. Two weeks after that trade, the Boston Celtics and Buffalo Braves trade ownership groups and the Buffalo Braves moved to San Diego to become the Clippers. It is one of the most convoluted times probably in the history of the NBA. When you consider big name player, big name players 
and the ownership swap and everything that transpired after that. Because you could argue that at one time, the Buffalo Braves had five Hall of Fame potential players and none of them stuck around. In their prime, by the way. Yeah, I, I had forgotten Moses was a Brave. Um, and seeing... I mean, again, I said it earlier, but just seeing some of the names that pass through the Clippers at the, you know, like we, we just mentioned Dominique a, a few minutes ago and Bill Walton um, and, and Bill Walton. And um, I mean, even even Chauncey is someone yeah. who obviously, you know, finals MVP and uh, I just how many guys and, and really it was funny seeing like how many great players and and even good players you know all-star or, or sub all-star but but pretty good guys it was like their first or last season was with the Clippers like guys either started their career with the Clippers I just my voice just cracked started their career with the Clippers or the Braves and immediately left or, or were traded and or finished their career as like a last season and one of the more interesting things in this exercise was reading about how many guys, because some of these trades are like, okay, this guy was good. Um, like, like one of the guys that, you know, like a, a Danny Manning is an example. Um, a Charles Smith is an example. And I'm probably, well, Terry Cummings is a semi example. Uh, but there's so many guys in Clipper history that were traded either in short-sighted moves or, or and or because the guy didn't want to be there anymore because they you know they had botched you know personnel moves, coaching decisions, uh, just the way the franchise was run, either you know post Sterling or pre Sterling, uh, obviously more post Sterling. Uh, that it, it just was like basically. This guy said he's not re-signing, so the Clippers are forced to trade him. And that was, you know, three or four, even five of the guys on this list. Um, you know, off the top of my head, uh, Charles Smith is, is one and Danny Manning is another that basically were fed up with the Clippers and the way they were run and refused to re-sign and forced the Clippers into trading them and ended up having success. Uh, you know, like Terry Cummings immediately became – a an all-star in Milwaukee uh the very next season uh you know Charles Smith ha ha had some success on those uh mid-90s Knicks teams and it's just kind of baffling how much the Clippers botched the handling of so so much of their young talent through the years and then that's before we even get into the early aughts where you had you know Lamar Odom and, and, and Darius Miles and um you know uh, there had some bad draft picks during that that time, but they also had some guys that were clearly talented, clearly had all star potential, and you know some of it was on those guys, but some of it was on the Clippers too. And it's just this like the Clippers have as many what ifs with this franchise as any team I, I think in in NBA history. I think the epitome of that is Lamar Odom, right? So yeah. Lamar Odom was incredible his first four years with the Clippers. Signs a six-year offer sheet worth $67 million with the Miami Heat and tells the Clippers he does not want them to match that offer. Yeah. He, want, he wants out of there so bad. He just tells them, like, 
do not match this. And they didn't. You know, the Clippers that, that offseason had already matched the offer sheets to Elton Brand. Uh, it was a it was a six-year offer sheet worth $82 million with the Miami Heat. They matched that. Corey Maggetti got an offer sheet, six years, $42 million from the Utah Jazz. They, they matched that. The Clippers did let Andre Miller leave in free agency, six years, $51 million to Denver, which clip, no Clipper fan likes Andre Miller for a myriad of reasons. Um, and the, like you think they're going to retain Lamar Odom, and then Odom tells them, please don't match this, and they don't. And that was it. You know, I mean, if you don't, and that's, that sums it up for the Clippers at that time. And up until this ownership group, they did not have people that really wanted to play for them. And I, I don't fault them. I really don't, you know, I mean, it's just the way it goes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it was a little bit of a depressing exercise at times, I will say. Um, But we... Are there any other names you want to hit on or, or well, you were saying, did you say 15 already? Did you? I did. Uh, but I'll say this. I think you should have picked Ernie DiGregorio, but it's fine. Yeah. That, that was the one that um, I was fairly confident in most of my picks. Uh, I, that, that was one I botched. I, I didn't realize he was rookie of the year. Um, and I, I was actually called out in, in one of the comments on The Athletic, which you should check out this article in The Athletic if you haven't yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. Uh, I, I think that, that was one where his counting stats were relatively pedestrian. I think he was like 10 and 5 uh, as a Clipper, and Derek Martin was 9 and 4. Derek Martin played more years. Um, you know, he made the playoffs, which Ernie did too, but... Um, I just, I I did, I guess if I had one bias in this exercise, I did tend to go with the, with the more recent players probably. Um, but th- that was the only one I would change in retrospect. Everyone else I'm, I'm fairly confident. Um, but yeah, just looking at some of these names, like, you know, a- Adrian Dantley. Um, yeah, yeah. um, so you brought up Adrian Dantley, number 44, and I'll, I'll just say this real quick. Number 44 was worn by rookie of the year, Adrian Dantley, then Michael Cage, who you picked. And I can't disagree with that as the guy for the number, but there's also a name. It hasn't been worn since 2010. Number 44 has not been worn since 2010. The guy who wore it was James on Curry. He's an NBA history folks. And I don't know how many people know this Royce Young of ESPN wrote the article in January of this year. And it's kind of funny because I, because some people knew about it, but it is what it is in January of 2010, January 25th to be exact. James on Curry, who's, three days into a 10 day contract with the Clippers comes off the bench and has the shortest stint in NBA history. He plays the final 3.9 seconds of the third quarter. And that was all his NBA playing time. I, I, I knew the name, but I, I didn't know that or I'd forgotten that. So that's, that's a great anecdote. And most people will probably remember James on Curry from his career in college at Oklahoma state. But, he did play 3.9 seconds in the NBA for the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, and, and even more names like Kiki Vandeway, uh, Jamal Wilkes. Like- Which, Kiki Vandeway is an interesting name from one aspect. He, now, the Last Dance docuseries didn't get into it. They only mentioned the Clyde Drexler aspect. 
But the Portland Trailblazers, the part of the reason they didn't pick Michael Jordan that year in the draft, they traded for Kiki Vandeweghe. And I really wish people would go look up how monstrous Kiki Vandeweghe was as a player in his prime. I've actually been doing a... Uh, I knew Kiki was good, but I didn't realize how good until I've been doing this uh, like all-time historical fantasy basketball draft um, with, with some fantasy basketball guys. Josh Lloyd, if, if you know him, you mm-hmm. know, um, Locked on Fantasy. Uh, and... Seeing how high, like, I, I remember Kiki was taken pretty high in the draft, and I was like, Kiki Vandaway, like, I mean, I know, like, he was good, but this high? And then I went back and looked at some of his numbers, I was like, holy crap, like, he was a monster. Um, and then now, obviously, you know, he, he has a pretty big role with the NBA, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's fascinating to see. Also thought, you know, funny, number 25, um, you know, went to Austin Rivers, but Doc was obviously a, a honorable mention there. Um, Marvin Bad News Barnes w- was one of my favorite reads. Reading about him at, at number 27, um, had two stints with the Clippers and was one of the really the league's cautionary tales. Uh, was someone who battled with drug addiction and legal problems, uh, supposedly, or, or maybe this is. You know, I'm saying supposedly, I, I, maybe this actually is like, you know, was seen, but supposedly snorted a line of cocaine uh, on the bench for the Boston Celtics. <laughs> uh, so uh, the 70s were great, my bad. <laughs> uh, I think NBA Twitter would have a field day with that one. <laughs> uh, and, and by all accounts, like he was this incredibly talented, uh, you know, score like he, he was number two pick in the 74 draft uh and he was out of the league by 27 and you know like was this just physical specimen could kind of do it all uh you know very athletic and just you know by the you know just kind of legal problems and and drug addiction really derailed his career and obviously it's not like a heartwarming story but it, it was just fascinating to read about him and and learn about him because um, because I'd heard the name ba- uh, you know Bad News Barnes but I, I didn't really know much about him. Um, Swin Nader was another one I, I liked reading about. Uh, you know the, the mustache Dutchman. Uh, you know and he's one of the Clippers. Uh, you know he has a case to be potentially a top ten Clipper ever at, at this point. Um, you know what a, his, his... What a wild time. <laughs> Uh, and, and he he's one of those ones w- with the six degrees of separation that has a really interesting story with like, you know, going to UCLA and then playing behind Bill Walton, then playing uh, again with him, w- you know, with the Clippers, then ending up on the Lakers uh, and backing up Kareem. And like, he, he's one of those guys that had a really interesting career. Um, but yeah, uh, th- this was a fun exercise. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot about a lot of guys that I'd kind of heard secondhand or, or didn't know much about, um, and, and pretty much anyone that wasn't anyone that was before the nineties, I, I read about and learned about. And I would say overall, like the Clippers are definitely <laughs> one of the more interesting, uh, franchises in the NBA because of so many reasons. Yeah, it's. 
it's a franchise that obviously has been a laughing stock for 30 years and all that stuff. And obviously the recent stretch has kind of turned around that, uh, I guess, vibe to a larger degree. But like you started, like you said, you look through some of these names, there's some like Glenn Rice is on here. Uh, Glenn Rice was my, was one of my favorites because, you know, he only played 18 games and he was not good. You know, he 3.7 points. Yeah, it was the points. end of his career. You know, it was his last season. But he hits his game-winning jumper against Dallas, and I couldn't find the clip anywhere. I was scouring YouTube. I was scouring Google. Um, you know, I was trying to see if I could even find it on, like, Synergy. Couldn't find it anywhere. But I, I remember the clip. I, I reread the game story. Like, you know, I, I know it happened. I'm not crazy. Uh, Glenn Rice did hit a game-winning jumper for the Clippers, but I couldn't find the video anywhere. You know what? It just was so good. Video couldn't capture it. <laughs> or no one cared about the 2003-2004 Clippers, and uh, that that might have been it. I mean, think about it, man. It, it was it was that Clippers <laughs> team. You know what's just crazy? It's actually crazy there's no video of it because that Dallas team was Antoine Jameson, Michael Finley, Antoine Walker, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki. You'd think someone would have a video of that. Yeah. No, I couldn't the, find it. The, if you could find it, tweet it at me. I will retweet it. I will shout you out. Uh, but I cannot find it. It's going to be lost to the annals of time, and only in your mind will it live on forever. I guess so. Um, By the way, Chris did, did, Wilcox, 21-8-4 in that game. <laughs> uh, I, I got to give Pike, the, the Polish rifle, a shout out as well. Um, and uh, he, he beat out Jamal Wilkes, who... Is obviously a Hall of Famer, but uh, great not, UCLA was, guy Jamal was, was not Pike. Uh, P- Pike missed his calling by a couple of decades. I, I think he would have fit in nicely as a a floor spacer in, in the modern game. Yeah, like that's that's what I come back with with some of these. Like Hito Turkoglu is another Clipper guy who missed yeah. his calling. Where like if he came around, like even five years later, I was. What's funny is I was tempted to put Hito at uh, fifteen. Because he wore number eight and number 15. I loved Hidu Turkoglu. You, you cannot convince me otherwise that he was not a productive player. He'd go on these like random kind of streak. I mean, I'm calling this a streak. It was like seven points. Like he just would hit like three shots in a row and you'd be like, what the hell is going on? This guy can barely move and he's still, you know, hitting jumpers out there. So I, I always loved when Hidu uh, played. Like he, you know, he was definitely like, a 12th man, but he, anytime he, he would come in, I, I got excited. I still contend to this day, the Clippers win that series in the playoffs. If he do Turkoglu doesn't get injured. Yeah, man. He, Against I OKC. Mean, he was, he was good. Yeah. Now people are going to look at it and see like three points per game and be like, Oh, okay. But like, he he was reliable, and I don't know. Reliable guys are nice. They're nice to have. No, yeah, I mean, I was exaggerating. He, he was he was a rotation player, I felt like. I mean, I felt like a back. Like, he definitely was limited mobility-wise. and He was smart, you know, though. It, it, it was, I mean, th- there were some cringeworthy times where I was like, oh, my God, is he about to have, like, his chest broken by, like, colliding with someone? <laughs> Just because, you know, when you kind of become, like, there's a point where when you are out of your athletic prime where you just kind of look like a little and he was never that athletic yeah it's just like a little like he kind of like he he almost looked like you just threw a like in shape 45 year old guy out there 
And it's like, sure, the guy's like in shape for a 45 year old, but he's also 45. And he, he wasn't that old. But there were some cringeworthy moments where I was like, oh, man, like, I, I really hope he doesn't like get injured badly just by like colliding with a power because he was playing a lot of four at that time. He yeah. pretty much was exclusively a four. Um, although the Clippers did play him at the three, and that that was a, a <laughs> exciting adventure uh, when he played the three. But um, do you remember a lot of the names from that 2013-14 season? Because I'm gonna I'll just give it to you real quick, and then that's it. Listen to some of these names: okay. Danny Granger, Willie Green, Ryan Hollins, Stephen Jackson, Antoine Jameson, Byron Mullins, Hito Turkoglu, Sasha Vujicic. Danny Granger had some moments. He had a little bit of a of a comeback with the Clippers, like you know, nowhere near his Indiana level. But I I felt you know there was a well he had that one. Was it a was it against? It was against the Warriors in the playoffs. I that was the forty that. point blowout win. He went for like fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. To be um, fair, everyone went for like fifteen. I mean, yeah, in that game. but it, it was a feel good story. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know. That's what the Clippers were always, right? Like, it's where people came at the end of their career to fade into obscurity, or it's where they started their career and someone saved them. That's how that's how the that's, Clippers that's were it. for, you, for you a long it. time. I mean, yeah. And now you got two superstars in their prime. Well, and, and well, let's end it on this note um, because we, we've gone a little bit over time. Yeah, our here. forty-five minutes, um, are forty-five. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think the the most telling thing, or eh, I wouldn't even say the most, but like I thought something that was telling was there are six current Clippers on this list: Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Landry Shamit, Avica Zubats, Patrick Beverly, and Lou Williams. And you know, you probably could like Montrez Harold deserves some recognition. Obviously, he's not going to beat out Danny Manning, but. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, six of the 49 guys were on this season's team and it's not like those guys are like, you know, Clippers for like a decade, like all these guys are Clippers within the last three years. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, that large, you know, almost half of the current roster makes this list just shows, you know, how this team has evolved and, and how this franchise has evolved and, and where they are now and, you know, the expectations of the season, the, the contention of the season being the number two seed in the West. Um, and even if you extend it to Lob City, you got Blake and DJ and Chris and JJ and, and Matt Barnes and, um, you know, Jamal Crawford ha- had a shot if he wasn't the same number as Bob McAdoo. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, just overall, like the, the way this franchise has shifted over the last decade and, and how many guys from the last decade ended up making this list. Um, Boban made it, uh, you know, Gallo made it, um, Tobias almost made made it like, yeah. Like, so, so just to see kind of, you know, how how populated this list was with guys within the last decade, uh, just really speaks to the growth of the organization and and the franchise over, you know, really since Blake Griffin's rookie debut. And that was to me, the first domino that set everything off. And, that's where, you know, I, I think Chris and Kawhi are, are better than Blake. But Blake, to me, as was the first sentence in my paragraph about him, he's the most important clipper ever. He He's the guy, you know, Blake Griffin, 
when Chris Paul went to the Clippers, it was because he was attracted to Blake Griffin as his partner, you know, his sidekick, his his one A, one B, whatever, um, at the potential of Blake. And and Doc Rivers comes because it's Chris and Blake, but Blake was the younger one who who still had all this potential and was really a blue chip guy. And uh, you know, Steve Ballmer buys the Clippers partially because of that as well. And and then Kawhi ends up coming because of all of that. So it's like I just think Blake really was that that first domino. But really, I think if if you want to walk away from this exercise, I mean, yes, there are funny things and there are disappointments, and you have the Sean Livingston situation, which was you know tragic and um, just you know an all time what if you know with how he was playing at the time. But overall, I think things things have trended in a positive direction for the Clippers and. Um, I think if you're a Clippers fan, you you kind of walk away from this a little encouraged of, of where things are at now. And uh, you can kind of look back at some of these things and, and laugh or cry or, or however you feel. Uh, but I thought overall, like things kind of ended in a positive direction. You know, you're, you're right about one thing. Basically, everything spiderwebs from Blake Griffin, right? Like he you are 100 percent correct. He is the most important Clipper in their franchise history. None of this today is possible without Blake Griffin because the because you could draw lines from people on the team today or things that happened to get those people on the team today directly back to him. So, you know, if we did this 10 years ago, the same exercise, it would be wholly depressive. Yeah. Like we just, it'd be a wreck. But because of Blake Griffin, a lot of the guys that we listed today are here because of him. And because of what he meant and what he did on the floor and just the, the hope and the dreams that he brought with him as this guy from Oklahoma that yes, he missed, he missed the first year that should have been his rookie year and he missed it completely, which was a very Clippers thing to have happen, but it didn't take away from the hope that he brought and getting other guys here to play with him. And if there's one downside to Blake Griffin's career, it's that I think people expected so much of him and he had an amazing career with the Clippers. And I th- still think it's wrong that people think it's not, it wasn't enough. Like he didn't, like he wasn't as good as he should have been because he was so good and so uh, impactful and so promising that it made everything after him worthwhile and possible. And that's what Blake Griffin's legacy is because as we sit here today doing this list of guys and Jersey numbers, it's not possible without him. I think that's the perfect way to wrap this up. Um, it all comes back to Blake Griffin. Uh, <laughs> Six um, degrees of Blake. <laughs> but Justin, where can people find you on Twitter if they're not following you already, which they should be? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at flybynight. That's F-O-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash flybynight. All right. And you can also check out his podcast, Clip and Roll. Oh, I forgot Blue about Wire, that. <laughs> on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, uh, my old home for this podcast. Uh, so if you were following me since the Blue Wire days, you should check out Clip and Roll and listen to Justin and Farbod on there. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, I don't know how you found this podcast. <laughs> but uh, you should give us a shot. And we currently have a 90-day free trial. Uh, so if you subscribe, 
um, off of, you know, you can go to theathletic.com slash free trial, theathletic.com slash clip city, or subscribe off one of my articles uh, that will help me out. That will help out this podcast and you get three months free. And if you like it, you can continue to subscribe. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe, but I think you will continue to subscribe if you give us a shot. Uh, as always, I will be back next week. Uh, I think next week's episode will be an interesting one, but I don't want to spoil anything. So I will talk to you guys later. Stay safe, social distance, wash your hands, and get through these trying times as best as you can. Uh, we're all in this together, not to be corny or cheesy, but uh, everyone's going through the same emotions right now. And um, I hope you all are as safe and healthy as is possible.